If you would turn with me to our text that we've been using previously this week, let's look at Second Timothy, the first chapter, and let's look at John, the seventeenth chapter. Second Timothy one and John seventeen. In Second Timothy one, verse twelve, Second Timothy one twelve, Paul said by the Spirit. He said, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know, I know whom I have believed. In other words, he said, I know him. I know him. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Say that phrase out loud with me, for I know whom I believe. Let's say that together. For I know whom I have believed. Two more times, let's say it, think about it. For I know whom I have believed. And again, for I know whom I have believed. You notice he didn't say, I know what I believe. I know what I, he didn't say that. What did he say? I know in whom. Or some translations say, in whom. I know in whom. Or I know whom. I know him. In whom I've believed. Go over to John, the 17th chapter. And the words of Jesus. Verse 3, John 17, 3, he said, And this is life eternal. This is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Well, I mean, there's not much that you could talk about that's more important than eternal life. And what exactly is eternal life? Is it belonging to the right group? Is being able to quote certain principles and passages? Is it names on membership roles? What is life eternal? Is it a dress code? Hmm? Is it a moral code? Now think about it. You, you, you say no, but there's a lot of people that they, that's what they claim. I mean, if you do this, you'll be saved. If you do that. But what is life eternal? To know Him. To know Him. That's what life eternal is. You remember Paul talked about, you know, he in Philippians, he was talking about how the different individuals was glorying after the flesh. And he said, if I wanted to glory after the flesh, I could. And he began to name off all the credentials that he had after the natural, and he had many and much. But he said, I, ca I count all of that as dung, refuse, garbage. Why? For the excellency of the knowledge of Him... And he said in other translations, bring it out. This is my one determined purpose and goal. <laughs> What's you after, Paul? He had degrees. He had social standing. He had this. He had that. But he said, I, he said, I can't all that. Just refuse for this. What, Paul? What did you find that makes you just want to throw everything else away? That I may know him. Hallelujah, that I may know Him and the power. Hallelujah. The power of His resurrection, the power of His life, the power. He goes on to talk about the fellowship of His sufferings, and etc., etc. Just the, the whole experience of being one in Him and knowing Him. But can you see what He said? This, this is what I treasure, what I pursue above all things. To know Him. To know Him. You know, we ought not just want to, you know, get so absorbed and we want to know about uh, the power. We want to know about uh, healing. We want to know about faith. We want to know about prosperity. Uh, that's all fine and good, but really, you want to know about Him. I said you want to know about Him. Not principles, but the person. Not the formula, but the Father. We want to know the Father, not just the formula. And we said that, that, you know, the greatest key to being healed is faith. Your faith will make you whole. That's a Bible fact. But what is faith? 
Faith is not just making confessions. And faith is not just knowing some things. Faith is directly connected with fellowship with God. Your faith level will be in direct proportion to how well you know Him. You show me someone who has great faith, I'll show you someone who knows God to a degree. And you cannot trust someone you don't know. You cannot trust someone beyond where you know them and how well you know them. And the reason why people have difficulty believing God for finances, believing God for healing, believing God for this or that, it comes back again and again to their relationship with God. How well they know Him. And how good a fellowship they're in with Him. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. You can be in relationship with someone and not have good fellowship with them. Fellowship is not automatic. A man and a woman can become married. And their relationship can be recorded as a matter of law at the courthouse. They are by law and before man and God related as husband and wife. But that doesn't mean they automatically have fellowship. There's some husbands and wives that haven't had decent fellowship in a long time. There's some husbands and wives, they're still legally husband and wife, but they haven't even talked to each other in a long time. But see, what is relationship without fellowship? Fellowship is the joy of relationship. I don't know if you've thought much about this. I have to some length. But the greatest experience in life is fellowship. That's the greatest experience in life. I said that's the greatest experience. We're talking, you know, we're alive. Living, breathing human beings. You know, you got people that write all kind of books and, you know, theorize and philosophize about what's the meaning of life. Why are we here? And they speculate and postulate and they come to the conclusion, well, nobody really knows. We can just guess and we can just float along and make the best of it. Oh, no. No, no. We have a book. Amen. With the words of the one that we're talking about knowing and he's told us. And he's revealed to us purpose of life. And uh, if you go back to the beginning, why did God make the heavens and the earth? And why did He create them? When He got it all done, when He created His man and everything was complete, now what? For what? He came down in the cool of the day. And what? Fellowship. Oh boy. Fellowship. That's what it's all about. That's, that's why we exist. God had angels, but he wanted something else. He had servants. You can fellowship to a degree with servants. But he wanted family. And the fellowship that you can experience with family. Spouse, child, parent. See, you, you can't experience any closer fellowship than those. And any greater fellowship than those. And so he created a son. Hallelujah. And a daughter. And he wanted them to have him some grandkids. Amen. And just have a whole big family of kids. You understand what I'm saying? And he is not confined to geographic location or time or space so he could intimately, personally fellowship with every one of them all over the planet. There's not a problem. And that's why this planet's here. And that's why the sun is shining to give it light. Did you hear me? Let's see, the, you, you won't learn this in some of the modern science books. But I'm telling you, this is why the earth is here. And this is why you and I are here. But the devil, because of his pride, had fallen out of fellowship and grace with God. Lost his place. And now he's envious and jealous of those who would have fellowship with God. And as he saw Adam and Eve fellowshipping with God and enjoying intimate, close communion with him, 
it, it, it barbed him. It caused hate and envy to well up in him. And he came through his subtlety. And he deceived and he, he led and, and tempted until man fell and woman fell. And because of sin, God could not justly and righteously keep that close intimate communion with his man. So man lost that, that precious communion and fellowship. I mean, this is what makes life worth living. Is fellowship and communion. The greatest experiences of life are fellowship. And the greatest fellowship is fellowship with God. Fellowship with each other is good. The Bible said how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Have you ever enjoyed good fellowship with people? That's greater than things. It's greater than possessions. It is. I mean, think about this. What if you've got five new cars, three new boats, two new houses, two big closets full of clothes, you know, five empty credit cards and a big roll of bills in your pocket, 20-course meal, and you're there by yourself. Nobody to share it with. Nobody to enjoy it with. Sometimes people say, well, I like just riding around in my car by myself. Are you sure by yourself? Or are you talking about God being with you? See, as Christians, we're never alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. We always got somebody to share it with. Hallelujah. God had a plan, though. When he, when he lost the communion with his man, he had a plan. He had a plan. And Jesus came and consummated that plan. And now you and I through Christ have been reconciled unto God that we might enjoy that intimate fellowship. And even if we sin and miss it after we've been saved, we can repent and confess and God will forgive us and we'll be restored to fellowship. And so we can maintain a living, constant communion with him because of what Jesus has done for us. And that makes life worth living. And that's what makes heaven heaven. Is who's there. If you think about, you know, buildings and plots of land don't really just make the place. You understand? This place here, it's not the buildings. It's not the, you know, the... Uh, the grounds and the landscaping and, and, and the things that make this place. And that's, that's not what gives it its feel, its warmth, its character, its color. What gives it that? The people. And the people that let God manifest. And so God gives it what it is. And your home is not just a house. The thing that gives your home the feel it has is who lives there. Amen. And the thing that makes a picnic or an outing or a gathering or a meal, what it is is the people who are there. The people. The people. The fellowship. That's, that's what makes it. And fellowship with God, as we said, is the highest and most wonderful kind of fellowship be even beyond fellowship with other people. But the neat thing about it is we can fellowship with God together. In places like this, in meetings like this, we can worship God together, praise God together, feed on the Word of God together, and that will help us be closer together. Well, I'm fellowshipping with Him, and you're fellowshipping with Him, and we're enjoying the same blessings at the same time. That's communion. Communion means a sharing in common. Fellowship, the same word in the Greek, a sharing in common, a holding in common. You know, uh, they say sometimes, you know, that opposites attract. Of course, you will find that in the Bible. It's like a lot of other things that uh, you hear said. How many of you are not supposed to just swallow everything you hear? I mean, you need to check it out. Opposites attract. Well... There might be some small truth to that in, you know, something different from yourself in minor things. 
I said in minor things. But when it comes to things that matter and things that count, nothing could be further from the truth. You fellowship around what you share in common. The more you have in common, the more fellowship you can have. The less you have in common, the less fellowship you can have. Now we began talking yesterday about discerning how well you know Him. We said to you that there are some definite indicators of how well we know Him. There are people, you know, the Bible says that profess to know God, but in their deeds they deny Him, in their works they deny Him. That just because you say you know Him, that doesn't mean you do. But the Bible tells us some specific things, specific things that show whether we know Him and how well we know Him. One thing we said is how you talk about Him reveals how well you know Him. Absolutely. If somebody starts talking about a person that you know, and they start saying things that's out of character for them, you recognize it. Why? Because you know them. And you think, no, and they say, well, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that. And you think, whoa, wait a minute now, wait a minute. I know them. That, that's not the way they think, that's not the way they talk. And you know them. You know the devil's always trying to lie on God. Do you know that? He's always trying to misrepresent God to you. And You know, Brother Hagin was sharing this morning about how that uh, the devil tried to uh, deceive him just as a boy right after he got healed. Tried to pass himself off as God. Well, the Bible warned us about that, that, that he transforms himself into an angel of light. He, you know, he, you talk about actor, he's the best actor there ever was. As far as an impersonator. He's very good at what he does. And so it's all the more important that we need to get to know God. You know, they tell us that people that work with currency and are trained in handling currency, in order to spot the counterfeits, they don't study the counterfeits. They study the real. They get so familiar with the real bills that anything that's different from the real thing, they spot it just like that. That's what we need to do. We do not need to study any counterfeits. We do not need to study any false things or false works. We need to know about the real. I've seen people talking about, you know, they're, they're reading these books on witchcraft and sorcery and this cult religion and that cult religion. Why? Well, I want to know about them so I won't be deceived. You don't need to read all that junk. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Well, I want to know so I won't be de- Listen, there are so many, you know, alterations out there. You could spend a large portion of your life trying to familiarize yourself with everything that's goofy and off. And while you, just about the time you get familiarized with that, they come out with another ten new things. Don't waste your time on that. Don't waste, you got no business reading stuff like that. Don't you, don't you read stuff on, on, on witchcraft and sorcery and black magic and the occult and astrology. And I see some other ministers, they're going to read this stuff so that they'll be informed and know how to talk. No, no. Most people don't read the Bible nearly enough to be reading all that other stuff. Besides, there's bad, sometimes the enemy uses that thing to sow some bad seeds in your mind. And what you have never read, you don't have to deal with. Have you ever seen something or read something or heard something that later you wished you hadn't seen, heard, or read because the devil brought it back to you again and again and again and again and you had to cast it down, cast it down, cast it down? Well, what if you'd never seen it? Never had to deal with it. That's why you need to learn how to close books. You need to learn how to turn off knobs. Click. Yeah, you do. You need to learn how to pitch things. Pitch. Into the trash can. Poop, it's gone. Yeah, but I paid $8. Well, you just missed God by buying it, so just throw it away. 
<laughs> Maybe you'll be better led next time. Throw it away. Throw it. You got no business looking at that. Get your nose in this book. Get your nose in this one. Learn about the real. Know him. And then anything that comes up that's different from him, you know, oh, that ain't right. Why? Because it's different from him. How you know? Well, the Word says this. And the Spirit of God says this. And so this is, not, this is different. If it's different, it's not him. He's the same. Always. Yesterday. Today. And forever. I want to go on today. There's, a, there's another area here that's, that's real enlightening. Go to 1 John. 1 John, the first chapter. We're talking about how, how well we know God. And this is a little different. I mean, you think, you might think, well, what kind of things y'all teach on in healing school out there? Sometimes we spend three weeks on Isaiah 53. Alright? We'll camp on 1 Peter 2.24. We, Mark 11.23 and 24 and what have you. But we just need to be led, don't we? And this has seemed good to me to go this way this week, so that's, that's what I'm doing. And so, uh, get what you can out of it. Here's another great indicator of how well we know Him. It is how much like Him we are. How like Him you are reveals how well you know Him. The better you know Him, the more like Him you will be. The less like Him you are, the less you know Him. Let me read some of these things and this will come clearer to you as we go. Verse John 1. First John 1. He said this in verse 6. Well, let's read verse 5 that goes with it. He said, this is the message we've heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So if you say I'm fellowshipping with Him, I have communion with Him, I know Him, and yet you're walking in darkness... John says you're lying about it. You don't know him. Why? Because if you knew him, you wouldn't be walking like that. He said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at the second chapter and the sixth verse. 2.6 Well, let me just back up and read this whole thing. I I was going to wait, but this will go good right here. Verse 3 of chapter 2. 2, 3. Hereby we do know that we know Him. Now, by this we know that we know Him. By what? If, everybody say if. If we keep His commandments, He said. He that says, I know Him. And keeps not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God, or some translations say the love for God, perfected. And hereby know we that we're in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk even as He walked. Can we tell how much we know God? Are there some outward indicators of these things? Yeah. You're not going to know all the details of how well somebody knows God. You don't know everything in somebody's heart. But there are a lot of outward indicators that will give you a general idea. And he said here that if a person says that they know God... But they're walking in darkness. And they're not doing what God told them to do. That they're lying about it. They don't know Him. Anybody can stand up and say, I know God. But that doesn't mean you do. And anybody can stand up and say, I love the Lord. But that don't mean you do. 
I said, that doesn't mean you do. Hold your place here. Go to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. John 14. Hold your place in 1st John. Go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 14. Notice what Jesus said about this. John 14. Verse 21. John 14, 21. He says, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. That's what we want. Isn't it? That's what we're talking about. We want to know him. How are we going to know him? The Bible said that the world through their wisdom could not come to know God. But that through the foolishness of preaching, people are saved. What does that mean? That means you can't know God through your physical and mental and intellectual searching and pursuits. There's a lot of highly educated fools who absolutely do not know God. And the Bible said that's the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of wisdom and understanding is what? The fear of the Lord. You know Him in reverence and respect Him. And when somebody stands up saying there is no God, they have no understanding, no wisdom. They're a fool. Not calling somebody a name is just a fact. A fool. The psalmist said, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Yes, but they have four degrees. Well, they're still a fool. They're a, degree with, a fool with degrees. Nothing against education. But you can know about this subject and know about that subject and know about many other subjects. So much information that you learn is so temporary in its validity. Have you noticed that? You can study things and learn things and memorize things. And a lot of times, here's the updated version. Oh. You know, we live in the computer generation now. <laughs> and uh, boy, if you're not uh, in some situation, just about time you get familiar with one program, guess what happens? I maybe have to change to a completely different operating system. And what you learned about the other one is obsolete. And so much information that we learn in this life is that way. It helps you temporarily. Oh, but there's a knowledge of Him. Hallelujah. And the knowledge of Him that you gain in this time, you will take with you into the eons to come. He will never change. So your knowledge of Him will be good forever. See, that's what the Bible said, you know, that there are going to be these things that would remain. Faith, hope, and love going to remain and last forever. Certain kinds of knowledge are just going to pass away. But these things are going to remain. And those who really have this experiential revelation knowledge of Him and knowing Him, nobody can take that away from you. And that's not going to change. He's not going to change. He's not going to change. You'll never waste any effort or time endeavoring to know Him. That's the best spent effort and time you could possibly expend. Is effort to know Him. Time to know Him. That's the best, that's being the best steward of your time and resources and energies you could possibly be. Because that's going to bring you eternal dividends. So there's people that don't understand why some of you drove or flew from all over the, the country or world. To come out here to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to Reamer, for what? What's a Reamer? <laughs> Kenneth Higgin, I never heard of him. 
Don't you have a church in your town? <laughs> have you ever heard anything like this? I mean, <laughs> they cannot understand your effort and expenditure. They say, you, you mean you, you bought your own ticket? You, you're paying for hotel rooms and, and meals? This is not a business related thing that you're being reimbursed for? <laughs> You have relatives out there. You don't. <laughs> they can't figure. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You know, Rama itself, the training center here, is an unaccredited school. <laughs> it is. Of course, if you become accredited, other agencies want to have some say-so in some things. So we are unaccredited. And, uh, but you know, I've, I've had people, I don't know at the times I've had people that, you know, you're introducing yourself and they want to know what you do and I tell them. And uh, so they say, you know, when, you, when, when people graduate from this school, uh, what, what kind of degree do they have? And you go, well... They really don't have a degree. <laughs> they don't have a degree. Some kind of, you know, degree of divinity. N nothing like that? No, no. Well, why would you go? Why would you go? They, they, they can't understand it. I said they can't understand it. But it's not just a diploma that people want. It's not just a degree that people want. They want to know Him. Hallelujah. They want to know the power of God, the move of the Spirit, the love of God, the grace of God. And in the kingdom of God, that is your degree. How well you know Him. That is your degree. In heaven, they will not want to see your diplomas. <laughs> Do you know the devil could care less about your diplomas? Even a rhema diploma. The devil can be bothering you. You quip out your Raymond diploma and say, Back. Be just like you pulled out, you know, a comic section or something. It's not knowing the formula. It's knowing the Father. It's not just knowing principles. It's knowing the person. Paul didn't say, I know what I believe. He said, I know in whom. In Him, in whom I have believed. Well, how, how much like Him you are reveals how well you know Him. Tied in with this is just your lifestyle and your obedience. Now, so we could, we could put, you know, we could divide this up into several categories for teaching, but for time's sake, we won't. I like to make it as simple as I know how. How can we tell how well you know him? Number one, how you talk. We talked about that. Number two, how you live. Is that simple enough? I have, I have a big dictionary. I could have found some other words, but how you live. At least you know what I'm talking about. How you live. You know, I'm, I'm more and more as I learn these things, I, I'm interested in people's lives. Not just their revelation, but their life. Not just their gift, but their life. You know, it's good to know when you're drinking water, it, it, it's good to know that it's coming from a pure source. 
Isn't it? Did you know you can even have some water that's coming from the origin of it is a pure source, but it can come through pipes that are, you know, junked up and got bacteria and growth stuff in them and taint it and even poison it. Did you know that ministers flavor what comes through them, even if it comes from God? It can pick up some of their flavor because it comes through them. You ever drink bottled water? A lot of times they got water, you know, and it's supposed to be very, very uh, pure and clean, but it tastes like plastic. Why? Because it's, it's been in that plastic container. I bet you it didn't taste exactly like that right out of the fountain, right out of the uh, spring. And that's why the Bible tells us to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. That's why we even have to judge prophecies and tongues and interpretations and judge teaching and preaching. And messages. You're supposed to judge it all. Why? By the written word of God and by the spirit of God who lives inside you. By the inner witness. Why? Because even though it may come originally from God, people can flavor it. You know, you can have quality. The best quality fruits and vegetables and meats and breads. And yet somebody season it with something you don't like. <laughs> You ever had that? I mean, you look at it and you think, boy, that is a beautiful cut of meat. That, those are fine vegetables. And you go to take a bite and you taste a, a spice that you don't like. And you go, oh, boy, they ruined that. <laughs> you know, it's fine potatoes, fine beef, but, but it's that something on there you don't like. And so we need the discernment to know this is good, but the flavoring. And, of course, realize that human vessels can flavor things. Now, I don't know how come me to say all that. But better get back up here and look at my notes. <laughs> but people who say that they know God, the, the writer here said, but yet they don't do what he says, they don't keep his commandments from the Bible and by his spirit, and they're not like him, he said, they're lying about it. They don't know him. Because the more you know him, the more like him you're going to be. I'll give you one, one guess to the answer to this question. Who, uh, in, in all the life of anybody that's ever lived on the planet, knew the Father best? Jesus. How much like the Father was Jesus? The express image. So much like the Father that at the end of the time on earth, right before He was crucified, He was saying some things about the Father to the disciples. One of them said, you know, show us the Father. Because they hear Jesus always talking about the Father, the Father, the Father. And finally, one of them just spoke up and said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He said, Philip. Have you known me so long? Been with me so long? And you don't know the Father? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Is he saying, I am the Father? No. What's he saying though? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because I talk just like him. I act just like him. If you want to know what he'd think about this, then watch what I think about it. If you want to know what he'd say, watch what I say. Do you know what we are called and destined to? Complete conformity to the image of Christ. That's what we've been called to. So much so... God, it's in God's plan. I mean, it's, this is ordained of Him that uh, the people should not be able to be around us and say they don't know anything about God. Amen. And God wills for us to get to the place where if you've seen us, 
You've seen Jesus. Somebody said, that's too high, brother. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. That's the call of the Father. We just got through reading, he that says he abides in him. Ought himself so to walk, how? Even as he walked. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians. I reach forth, I press forward toward the mark. What is the high mark? What is that? It's being just like Jesus. That's what it is. Paul said, I haven't arrived. Could you agree with him today and say, I haven't arrived? Do you ever say anything that's not Christ-like? Do anything that wouldn't be like the Lord would do it? But a lot of folks don't even realize that that's what you're supposed to be doing every day is being more like Him. Changing. Everything that you, you ought to just meditate in the Word. You don't, don't neglect the Gospel accounts. Because you see Jesus walking and talking and revealing the Father. We need to read all of it, but I'm just saying sometimes people just read the epistles. They don't read the Gospel accounts. You, you're supposed to read the Gospel accounts. Study them. Meditate in them. Until you get so familiar with everything Jesus said and did, until every situation you think, how would Jesus act about this? What would he say? What would he do? And you remember what he did and you think, oh yeah, that, he did that so he would do this. And you get to where you talk like him. And you get to where you act like him. Amen. And what do we know, what do we know when we see you acting more like him and talking more like him? What do we know? We know you know him. You know him. You know Him. What, what's going to happen to your faith as this is happening? Oh, I'm telling you, your faith will just escalate. Leaps and bounds. Did you know that boldness and confidence are products of faith? Do you know that? Absolutely inseparable. Somebody that's truly bold in the Holy Ghost, somebody that's truly confident in God, that's evidence of your faith. Now you have to give a little bit of instruction here because people get confused about what real Holy Ghost boldness is. There's some people have found a new word for being rude and obnoxious and pushy and fleshy and carnal and arrogant. They call it being bold. Yeah. People that justify and excuse their carnality in the name of being bold. People are offended and hurt right and left and they just say, well, I guess I, they, people just can't handle my boldness in the Lord. <laughs> I get amused sometimes at ministers, pastors sometimes. Every time you see them, they've lost half their congregation. And they're always talking about God's doing a purging. God's purging. God's purging. <laughs> a lot of times he purges the whole bunch. Ain't nobody left. <laughs> but I've noticed that some of I travel around a lot. I'm in a lot of churches and see a lot of people and I've noticed a lot, of the, a lot of the pastors that are sweeter and more Christ-like, they don't have nearly as much purging <laughs> as some of the others that are carnal and fleshy. But see, a lot of times people, they don't want to look in the mirror and say, I need to grow up, I need to change, I need to make adjustments. They just spiritualize it. Well, God's doing this and God's doing that. And the Bible said, if you're walking in darkness and you're not doing what the Lord told you to do and you say you know Him, you don't really know Him. You're lying about it. How well you know Him will be revealed in your walk, in your deeds. Now, a lot of this has to do with just living right. How I many know God is righteous? He's holy. Well, if you know Him, how will you be? Now, I know you're made righteous in Christ, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about your legal position. I'm talking about how you live. Living right. 
living right. Listen to these scriptures. In 1 John 3. Look at this. 1 John 3, verse 6. The Bible says, Whoso abides in him sins not. Now, don't get too quiet on me on this now. I know a lot of of people don't understand this passage, and so they just kind of ignore it and don't pay any attention to it. But let us look at it. Whoso abides in him sins not. Whoso sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. If you quack, people will think you're a duck. If you bark, they'll think you're a dog. Right? If you cluck, they'll think you're a chicken. If you sin, what will they think? You sinner. If you do righteousness and live godly, what will they think? You're a saint. You're either a saint or an ain't. Somebody said, well, I'm not, I, I wouldn't call myself a saint. Well, then you lost. There's not that many choices, you see. I said, well, I thought you had to live a perfect life and die and then maybe you could be a saint. No, no, no. If you notice, these epistles are addressed to the saints. So, of course, we ought to live like saints. Some of you don't know what, what in the world to do with that one, but... <clears throat> Don't, you don't have to accept it just because I said it. Study the scriptures. Get in your concordance. Do a study on saints. He said, he that commits sin, verse 8, he that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoso is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whoso doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Now let me read this, another translation of this to you. This is the 20th century. It says this, No one who maintains union with him lives in sin. And Philip says this, says the regular sinner has never seen or known him. Now what many have not understood, he's not talking about that if you know God, you never make a mistake. That's not what he's saying. You have to look at the whole context. What is he saying though? That you can't live in constant fellowship with God and live in sin. You can't. I said, you can't. You might make a mistake. And praise God, you can repent. And get, get, you know, know, your, your fellowship restored. But you can't practice sin. And live a life of sin. And know God. Somebody who's living a lifestyle of sin does not know God. Maybe have never known Him. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't. I said, you can't. If you and God agree about things, then you and the devil will not agree. If you are in agreement and you love what the saints love, then you and sinners will not get along. I didn't say you had to fight and fuss with people. You just won't like what they like. You won't want to do what they want to do. Go to 2 Corinthians real quickly. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. We're talking about how well we know God. How you live. How much like Him you are. Reveals how well you know Him. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he said this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What's the answer? None. None. And what communion has light with darkness? None. What concord hath Christ with Belial? None. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? None. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. Now, now through every one of these, what's he saying? He said, you don't have anything in common with this. So why would you be trying to have fellowship and run with these? Have you ever uh, had an experience that maybe you knew some people before you got saved? And then you got saved and they didn't. You went on with God and of course they didn't even get saved. Maybe you didn't see them for a while. And then after a few years even you saw them, met them, saw them again. Now before you got saved and y'all went your separate ways and maybe you moved off from there, whatever, y- y'all were bosom buddies. Partners in crime. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you drank, you caroused, you rambled, you gambled. You understand? You Whatever you, y'all did, y'all, you know, sinners sin. They were a sinner, you were a sinner, y'all sinned. Sinner friends. But now you've been walking with God for a while. They've continued on the path with the enemy. And you meet them. And you remember that y'all were friends. They remember you were friends. And so you go, Oh, hi! Oh, it's so and so. And you greet one another, maybe hug or shake hands. Oh, it's so good to see you. They say, Oh, it's so good to see you. And, you know, where you at? And so you talk about this man. And then, you know, in just about two minutes or less, you look at them and go, oh, It's good to see you. And they go, Yeah, it's. Good to see you, too. (laughs) What are you going to talk about? The thing that's most on their mind is the big party they were at last weekend. And they snorted some coke and they won a thousand dollars on this game and and they, they got a new date and you don't want to hear that. I'd not want to hear it. If you want to hear it, (laughs) something's wrong with you. If you've been walking with God, you want to tell them how you were just at Winter Bible Seminar. And I mean the power of God moved. People got healed. You got revelation. You got blessed. God talked to you about your life. And and they don't want to hear that. <laughs> Even if they're trying to be nice, you can see it in their eyes. What's been going on with you? Well, glory to God. And when you say that, they look at you kind of. <laughs> glory to God. Uh, I've been out to a great meeting, and both the Lord's moving in such a great way, and they're looking at you like, "Oh, that's that's nice. That's that's great. Yes." And, and I mean, the Holy Ghost really just was moving and, and there was revelation. Revelation. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost and they're thinking, <laughs> ghosts. <laughs> they, they just, they don't know where you're coming from. They can't relate to you. They're not interested in your stuff. You're not interested in their stuff. How can you walk together? How can you... Spend a bunch of time with each other. You don't have anything to talk about. You don't have anything in common. Now, I'm not saying don't be friendly with sinners. Yeah, be, a, be make an acquaintance. Be friendly with people. Uh, you know, be a friend to them any way you can. But you can't have quality bosom buddy friends in rank sinners. Your priorities and values are totally different. Do you know, I was going to close here just real quick, and I still will, I still will, but can you give me just a couple of minutes here? Go to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I tell you, if somebody couldn't preach to y'all, I just can't preach. 
Y'all are easy to preach to. Easy to talk to. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He said this, and this is talking about communion and fellowship. And of course, that's the key to knowing someone. Is fellowshipping with them. We'll probably talk about that some tomorrow. The great key to faith is knowing God. Of course, knowing His will, knowing His way. Not just knowing His acts, but knowing His ways. But the key to knowing Him is fellowshipping with Him. But the key to fellowshipping with Him is agreeing with Him. How are you going to fellowship with Him? Unless you like what He likes. Want what He wants. Wants to talk about what He wants to talk about. If you and He are unalike, do you understand He is not going to change? (laughs) He is not coming your way at all. So if you get closer to Him, what will happen? You will change. You will become more like Him. And you know, this thing just grows on me by the the minute here. Do you know, I began to think about this even this week while I was meditating about, about some of these points. You know, you see people that are around some of the same things. Even over a period of years, and some people come to know God And others, at the end of the same period of time, they still hardly know God at all. They were all, they had access to some of the same things. Some people have grown wonderfully and they, I mean, they just have matured and know God. Other people are still just, their Christianity is very nominal. They're acquainted with the Lord Jesus, but they don't know Him. Not not well at all. And the Lord revealed to me, I'd never really seen it exactly like, like this, it's not just a matter of opportunity. But one must have a heart to know God. It's got nothing to do with your intelligence, your IQ. It's got nothing to do with where you live. It doesn't have that much to do. Now see, a lot of times people think, well, I don't have a good church to go to. And I don't. Listen, have you got a Bible? Have you got the Holy Ghost living inside of you? There are people, I'm telling you, that's not an, people use that as an excuse all the time, but it's not an excuse. I meet people all the time, and they're coming from places where it's against the law to have a church, you know? And they know God. They never even heard of Ramah. Or Brother Hagin. And they're telling you about how they stood on Mark eleven twenty four and received it. And you're thinking, where'd you get? Well, that was in the Bible long before Ramah was here. And you, I don't care. You can take a soul anywhere on this planet, uneducated, poor, makes no difference. But if they got a heart to know God and they draw nigh unto Him and they seek Him with all their heart, He will reveal Himself to them and manifest Himself to them and they will come to know Him. While other people who sit and hear the greatest revelation coming out on the planet without a heart to know Him, would just be as dull ten years later as they were before. And I thought about David, you know. How God said about him, I found a man. After my own heart. He'll do all my will. A heart after God. A heart to know God. The Bible said, Jesus said, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. The ones that want to know Him. You want to know Him. Your heart's hungry to know Him. Your heart's inclined toward Him. You want to know Him. The Bible said the eyes of the Lord are scanning and looking to and fro throughout the whole earth for a heart like that. The heart that's perfect toward Him. Why? He wants to show Himself. What do you mean? Show himself strong, but reveal and say, Here I am! This was a mystery that the disciples could not figure. If you remember, Jesus was talking to them. And he told them, I'm going to manifest myself, and the Father is going to manifest to you, but not to the world. And one of them said, How are you going to manifest to us and not to the world? 
Well, you see, it's the secret of the heart. Those who have ears to hear, connected with the heart that can receive, they'll hear. Others will be in the same room and won't hear a thing. Won't get a thing. Because you got ears to hear. You got a heart that's right before God. A heart that's humble before God. A heart of faith before God. A heart that's whole hearted towards God. You got that kind of heart, you will come to know Him. Why? Not because of your intellectual efforts. God will come to you. He said, I will manifest myself to you. I will take up my residency in them. And the Father will take up His residency in them. And they love me and I will love them. And make myself known. One translation says, make myself clearly seen to them. Oh, thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Do you have a heart to know Him? Do you have a heart? If you're hungry to know Him, and you'll reach a... Don't, see, the devil will give you a thousand and one excuses why you can't know God like Brother Hagin does. Why you can't know God like this one or like your pastor. Like a, that's a lie. That's a lie. Let me tell you something. You can know God like Jesus Christ knew and fellowship with God as He walked on the earth. That's what He's made available to us. I know that's bigger than most folk can even open their mind to receive, but it's a Bible fact. You can commune with the Father God on the level that Jesus did while He walked the earth. You can have the kind of prayer life He had. You can walk with God like He walked with the Father God. I didn't say it. He said, if you say you abide in me, you ought to walk even as I walked. How did He walk? He walked with the Father. He did always those things that were pleasing to Him. He knew Him. He knew Him. He knew the Father. And walked in intimate communion with Him. Sometimes talked to Him all night long. That's not, that's not out there logging hours of prayer. You, you, you tell people don't know God very well, again, by the way they talk. Forget 1 Corinthians 10. <laughs> we might look at it tomorrow. You can tell that people don't know God. Have you ever heard somebody talk about, you know, I was able to pray uh, two hours last night. I just, you know, stuck it out and I did. <laughs> Have you ever heard a young man and young woman that's engaged come back off a date and the guy say, you know, I was able to spend two hours with her tonight. That's up from an hour and a half. No, no, no. When you know somebody, and you love somebody, and you enjoy being with them, you're not watching the clock. You look, you look at the clock and go, oh, is it, it's already such and such. We got to go. You wish you had more time. And when you're talking about, oh, I labored and I made it and I was X amount of hours in prayer. And I managed to spend X amount of time in the Bible. See, you're not fellowshipping in prayer. You're not fellowshipping in the Bible reading like you ought to be. Because when you really are fellowshipping with Him, it's a joy. It's a joy. And you're, it's not a labor to you. It's not a drudgery to you. Now, if it, you say, well, Brother Keith, I'm sorry, but Bible reading is a job to me. Because you're not doing it right. Well, I make myself praise the Lord, you know, but it's just, well, you're not doing it right. You, you gotta put, don't pay attention to how your flesh feels. Just, just push past that. And when you're really getting to know Him, and really fellowshipping with Him, it's a joy. I tell you how, if you, you tell how good you're doing a job in prayer. If you're in a public place of prayer, if, until you get to where you are not listening to other people and watching them and thinking about the time and all that stuff, you're not praying in the Spirit. You're not really doing that much good in prayer. 
Because when you really get to, to talking to God, you just get conscious of Him. Just Him and you. You're just conscious of Him and you, and you're not watching the clock. And the more you get in the Spirit, the less time conscious you are, the less surrounding conscious you are. You're God conscious. You're conscious of Him who you're talking to. He's real to you. And it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And you're conscious of what He's saying to you. Not hearing voices, but you just know inside you what He's communing with you. And that's fellowship. And as you do that, you will increasingly come to know Him. And as you know Him, you'll wax bold, you'll have confidence, your faith will grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And you can say with Paul, I know. I know. I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded this. I'm persuaded. Why? Because I know him. I heard him. You got people that's, you, you know, always confused about, uh, about, is it God's will to heal me? Will God meet my needs? Listen, when you've heard from him, God told me he'd take care of it. God told me He'd do it. God told me. You know who said it. And you know His Word is real and right. Faithful and true. You're resting in that. You're resting in that. Confidence. Unwavering persuasion. Hallelujah. Abraham. Knew God. God called him his buddy. His friend. And the Bible said Abraham was fully persuaded. What God had promised, he was able to perform. Amen. And that's what will happen to us concerning our healing, our financial needs met, our direction, our ministry, whatever. As we know God, our confidence level will rise, our boldness will rise, our faith will rise. Exploits and victories will be the result. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.